I think what you're doing is fantastic. I think people need um, people information. You yes. know, we get all of the medical stuff and the political stuff, but um, it's all about people, you know, yeah. because we are the ones, they're making decisions, but we're the ones that are fighting it daily. So this is what we do. So, sweetie, whenever you are ready, and I promise I'm not going to call you sweetie. I tend to do that a lot. You know what? I've been called much, much worse. So if you call me sweetie, that'll be a compliment, Miss Bunny. <laughs> okay, well, I'm here. I'm here. I'm ready to roll. Welcome to Surgeland. This is Surgeland. I'm In early 2021, Illinois started its focus on the all-in Illinois ad campaign. Its focus was to showcase real residents of Illinois, not paid actors, to talk about the real-life implications of a global pandemic. The ad campaign was on various social media outlets like Instagram, Facebook, along with print, billboards, and TV commercials, and still runs today. One of the first commercials of this series featured a vibrant lady, Bonnie Blue, which is her actual name. How cool is that? (laughs) She talked about her desire to do her part to not only increase her own level of protection against COVID, but to encourage members of the community to do the same. I am delighted to introduce to you our next guest on the Surge Land podcast. She is an accomplished author, lecturer, and researcher currently working on new projects, which we will dive into a bit later. Please welcome to the Surge Land podcast, Bonnie Blue. Welcome, welcome, Bonnie. I'm so honored to have you here today. Hi, Julie. I am so glad that you invited me, truly. Bonnie, let's just dive right in. What was your initial reaction to COVID when it hit in 2020? And how did you become part of the All In Illinois campaign? Well, when I first heard about it, it was it seemed kind of surreal because uh, even though I am I'll be 70 next month, I've never experienced a pandemic. And as I was getting more information on COVID, I wanted to be included in the study. So if there was something I could do to help, that's what I felt I had to do. So I was checking out, you know, you had Pfizer, you had Moderna, those were the two big ones. And I spoke to my uh, family and friends about it, which was a bit challenging. They were a little upset with me. I have been told I have lived my life attempting to survive asthma as I was living most of my life in hospitals, on life support, ICUs, the whole bit. This was my life. 
It's like, why would you take a chance like that? One friend told me, uh, why do you want to be a Petri dish? Why are you letting them do this to you? And I had to clarify it. No one approached me. I was seeking out individuals, agencies, scientists that were trying to help mankind. I mean, I look at all of the things that our little blue ball, our lovely little paradise, our planet Earth have gone through and the life forms that have um, died out. I mean, as mighty as dinosaurs. And it was a relatively small um, meteor that wiped out the mighty dinosaur. And I started thinking is like I'm looking at this mega microscopic entity, this tiny little virus that is not just in pockets killing people, but globally killing people. And because of the things that the sacrifices that others had made so that mankind could continue to live, not just for those that underwent uh, different um, medical trials, but also dealt with different procedures, um, experimental procedures to help those that were coming behind them. I think because these people had done it for me, it was my responsibility to do my part to help mankind. And then I found out who was heading it up, Dr. Novak. He has been on the front lines of uh, seeking out treatments for HIV and AIDS for years. He's been involved in this sort of thing for years. This man has been quietly going about his work with that type of ethics and commitment to humanity. I felt very safe because they are still today uh, keeping tab, checking to see how I'm doing. If I call Dr. Novak, and I've done this a few times, and if he's not available right then, by the end of the day, he calls me and he gives me the time that I need to get my concerns out and he eases those fears. And if I bring something to him that he's not quite sure about, he's going to check it out and get back to me. Well, first of all, Bonnie, kudos to you for not only reacting in a way that helps protect you, but doing the hard research that is so needed when you're making these important decisions that impact your health, despite the feedback that you got from friends and families that might have not have supported your decision or really understood it. My takeaway is that there have been scientists just working on these very types of vaccines that we are using today to fight COVID and to diminish its effect on humanity. They've been working on these types of vaccines for years and years and years. The countless names that we will never know that have made their contribution to caring for and protecting the global public is just astounding. So I, scientists cannot get enough thanks 
for their continuous work behind the scenes, many of which we will never know about. That's really great that you were able to connect with this study that's here in Chicago, and you're still getting that feedback and being able to be part of the discussion, which is helping their data and research. I I think that's really great. That's why I'm so glad that uh, you tipped your hat to them. We owe them such a debt of gratitude. A lot of folks aren't clear on what uh, vaccines can do. They don't necessarily keep you from getting the virus, but what it will do is reduce its effect of it. My uh, grandbaby has had it twice. He's 11 and he has been vaccinated and boosted. I mean, I guess I sneak on the bus. My family doesn't want me on public trams. But you'll see people without the mask or with the the mask underneath their noses. And I I still don't understand that because uh, you breathe out of your nose. That's why when you get the uh, test, you know, they do the swab up your nose because that's where um, the virus will congregate, if you will. But, you know, when it comes down to research, a lot of people don't understand research. I've had to gently inform people that social media is not a form of research. Uh, What I suggest that they do, the places that I suggest, if you want to know real facts, nothing to do with politics or any other insanity, check out the CDC website. Check out the uh, health department websites. Check out the World Health Organization websites. These are the scientists. This is the medical society that will tell you facts. These are the facts you need to know that can potentially save not only your life, but the quality of life for those around you, including your little ones. It seems like I am forever with my granny hat. Put your mask on. Pull that mask up. Okay, but and that's not my place to do. Uh, some people will get insulted, as they should. I, I am not their mother or their grandmother or their great granny. I can't tell them what to do. The only thing I can do is uh, relocate myself. As I always wear two masks, I double mask and it's, I've gotten used to it. I'm so used to wearing my mask. It's like wearing shoes. You just put it on and keep it moving. Here in Illinois, there is a Senate bill 1405, which is the Medical Patient Rights Act. It's a revision of the act and it's regarding health visitation. Many states have enacted similar laws called the No Patient Left Alone Bill. Now, what this bill is in a nutshell, it's a, it is allowing at least one family member can be present with someone that is hospitalized. The reason why I truly believe is that has been one of the biggest detriment for people to seek care. I wanted to talk with you about this because I do know a little bit about your story. You were talking to me last time we spoke about you being in the hospital due to your asthma conditions and other health concerns. 
and were on life support a couple of times. If you could go <laughs> into that, how do you feel that this particular bill passing in Illinois will impact your thought process of being hospitalized in the future for any condition, especially for COVID or unfortunately the next pandemic that might come our way? I, I can't tell you how important this is. Because whatever medical issue you're going through, your frame of mind has such a great impact on your recovery. You know, it's like when COVID first came out, it was the giant boogeyman that was coming and everyone was so fearful of it. And you're right. I have heard of people that it's like, no, uh-uh, I, I'd rather be with my family, with someone that loves me. I don't want to be in there alone and just flatline. Many times when I have been on life support, you know, most of the time I was asleep, but in ICU, you're in there. There are those, those weird beeping sounds. You have all of, everything is very sterile and there is no love in there. It's all technology. When I was in, seeing my family or friends come in my room smiling or acting silly, or even the nurses and doctors and, and therapists that came in and they had time to talk with me and, you know, just put their hand, their, their bare hand on my bare arm, that made a difference. Having that kiss on my forehead, oh my God, that made me feel stronger. And being denied that would have, I know that would have affected me and probably would have affected my outcome. I think when uh, people are seriously ill, they need that love. That is a special type of medication. Having that hug, that kiss, that love, someone holding your hand, skin to skin, that means a lot. You need human contact. And having this bill passed is as important, nearly, as having the vaccine. It is very, very important. It's that next level in line of recovery. You have the science and then you have the, the human factor. That makes a difference. It makes a difference. When you know, like if I were to go through another issue um, and being 70, wouldn't be surprised. Not having that human connection is detrimental. So I think that this being passed, and it should be nationally, and having that love there counts. I, I am so proud of my state. I am proud of all of the people that are working to make this happen. Hopefully this will get passed and will be, you know, a law of the land very soon. I'm very proud of Illinois, as are you, Bonnie, for getting this going. So please look up Illinois Senate Bill 1405, the Medications Rights Act and the Health Visitation. We're going to take a short break and we will be right back with Bonnie Blue. May is Mental Health Awareness Month. 
In an attempt to call attention to a cause, we name a day to commemorate a devastating illness, or sometimes a full month to focus on bringing to light prevention and raise money for research. Do you ever wonder what happens to help foster care, compassion, and help for the remaining 364 days of the year? Mental health should be part of the discussion beyond a quick, hey, how's it going? We need to normalize the reality that it is okay to not be okay. There is help available, confidential, free help, available 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. Please call 1-800-273-8255 or text the word TALK, T-A-L-K, to 741-741. Visit suicidepreventionlifeline.org or the National Alliance on Mental Illness at nami.org. That's National Alliance on Mental Illness at nami.org. You matter and our mental health matters. Be well. Welcome, welcome back to the Surge Land Podcast, everyone. We are still here with Bonnie Blue, and we're going to transition a little bit into talking about her role as a previously working on the care provision side in hospitals as a case or care manager. So, Bonnie, what did isolation and patient care look for you on the care provision side, and how long were you working in the hospitals? I was a case manager at Providence Hospital for a number of years. I worked on the HIV team. I loved it. They weren't used to having people uh, be that involved in their care. When you actually got involved in helping them, and they'll be more um, active in their own care if they know someone else cares. They look forward to seeing someone come in Uh, to talk with them and to make them laugh and they felt better. The reason that I'm bringing this up is that, as I said, these were people that were pretty much the the forgotten ones. So their family wasn't there for the most part. But having someone care for them and care about them coming in, being part of their recovery, that helped their recovery. We saw that uh, their mortality rate actually improved, which is wonderful. When you go in and you're talking to someone that have just received a really uh, detrimental diagnosis, HIV, or the early stages of COVID, people are afraid. They don't know what to do. They don't know what comes next. All that they understand is that, okay, I can die. The same with the early days of COVID and in some cases COVID now. I've had patients that during their, what I refer to as their celestial transition, when they knew that prognosis was not at all good, they would want me to be there because 
they didn't have family that would be there. That was such an, for me, but in, in them asking that, in that request, that really absolutely showed me how important it is to have somebody there that cares about you, tangibly there. Thank God we have, you know, Zoom and these other things. But like I said before, there's nothing like having someone there with you. I did it for a number of years. I feel very blessed that I was able to do it, that I was in a position to help someone through um, their darkest hour. Understand I am no one saint. I just think that it's important to be the type of human being to others that you want them to be for you or more importantly to your family. It's the very nature of a disease that we don't know a lot about and we're trying to protect as many people as possible and navigate through that. But the human connection is definitely really ties into the overall mental health aspect of the damage that this virus, that this pandemic has done not just to individual people, but to communities, to the world. And we will be dealing with those ramifications. So it's really important to touch base on that. My niece, uh, I had a number of family members, you know, when your family's real, real close. And when COVID first came out, if one person gets it, you know, everybody's coming over for dinner, the whole family gets it. And I had 10 family members that had it and four were in ICU and one was in, on uh, life support uh, for a while. And she had, you know, and this was the one that never got sick. She still has problems from time to time with her breathing. My other niece never had any issues with diabetes. Now she's diabetic. You know, but people don't understand that it's not just a matter of, oh, well, I'll get a sick for a little bit. I'll be in the house for a week and then I'm fine. That's not always the case. You know, Julie, and I know I shouldn't be asking you, you're asking me, but I have got to ask you, why are people so afraid of getting a vaccine? I mean, we all have had to have a vaccine to go to school. I still don't quite get it. You know, that's probably the question for the ages. I do believe that vaccine hesitancy has its different forms. Some of it is generational, some of it is cultural, but I do believe into the mix now we do have the political stance, which has muddied the water and angered and inflamed. They think it's a hoax. They think COVID's just something made up. They don't believe it's real. They think it's something created by the Democrats or anybody else, whoever they don't agree with, such a political atmosphere for that decision as to why is a portion of the people why they do not believe in the vaccine. Because if I get the vaccine, it's going to lessen my chances of having a serious case or being in a hospital due to COVID. Me getting a vaccination does not protect you, nor does necessarily them getting a vaccine protect me. The shift is more so do what is best for you and your individual situation, your health situation, your family. But just because they're vaccinated or not, it, it really that's not going to impact you. It's your exposure. 
how you navigate throughout the world, throughout your county, at the grocery store. It is cultural. It is generational vaccine hesitancy, just in general, that is pervasive in the world. But because of this, the political mumbo jumbo has really, um, really angered some people on both sides. And and that's unfortunate. We really came into COVID coming out of a very, very rough political turmoil. And that's just here in the United States. I mean, every, every country was going through that to some degree. You make such a good point about uh, trying to understand the other individual's position on it, how to navigate not making yourself crazy and being respectful of uh, other people's feelings. And uh, like you were saying, just focus on what you can do for you. Do you have COVID fatigue? And if so, how do you combat COVID fatigue? I think everyone has a degree of COVID fatigue. For me, uh, COVID fatigue would be, I'm kind of tired of it. Especially at my age, when you're going to have things happening anyway, this is just another side dish of stuff. And it would be nice for it not to be there. However, it is there. It's not going away because... I'm tired of it. I don't want to hear anything else about it. I'm sick of the mask. It's not going away. It is as much here now as it was when we shut down on March 11th, 2020. The way I get through it is recognizing that this is something that I just have to shift a gear in my life and do what I have to do to survive it. My goal is to end up on the other side of COVID, where um, my grandkids could say, yeah, I remember when there was COVID and people had to do this, that, and the other. This is my opinion. If you don't do what you have to do to survive, you're not going to survive it. Yes, I am tired of it. However, I'm smart enough to know that I need to double mask up. Because I'm going to be out there with people that are not wearing a mask, but I am not willing to allow someone else's right to not wear a mask, to not do the mitigations that actually work. I'm, I'm not willing to let those things affect my quality of life. So, yeah, there are things that, I mean, the double mask I've gotten used to. I know that there are things that I will not be able to participate in. Like my grandson just graduated from college last Saturday. I wasn't able to go because there were going to be a number of people there. And, you know, uh, you have 15, 20 people in the house. Some will be wearing masks. Some will not. Some will have them below their noses. They're laughing and talking and eating. And just because I'm aware, I have to adjust what I'm going to do. Unfortunately, and it broke my heart that I wasn't able to be there to see my very first grandson graduate from college. And also on the day before then, a week ago today, my um, baby granddaughter went to her junior prom. 
I wasn't able to go. You know, you want to be there with the pictures and the celebration. But I know with my health concerns, I can't put myself at risk like that. And, you know, it's not just me getting sick, but I know for my grandson, if I went and I ended up positive, I could have gotten positive anywhere along the line. But in his mind and in his heart, he would blame himself. So I'm not willing to put that kind of guilt on anybody that I love. So this is how I deal with it. When people come, I'll let two people come at a time, ask up, and yes, I crack windows. Okay, I'm a little tired of it, but I'm not tired of that boring little thing that I do. Uh, that inhaling and exhaling, I'm not tired of that. I just have to adjust. Hopefully you're getting enough pictures and, and the you know, oh, yeah. calls and all of that. Yes. Yes. So I am I'm I am good with that. And we talk and you know, they were initially doing the whole Zoom thing, but Everything is on the phone now. You have FaceTime, you have Messenger, you have all of this other stuff. I mean, I miss the hugging and the face-to-face. And sometimes we do get to do it, but not nearly as much as we used to. So that is how I have adjusted to my new norm. Shifting to the next question, what do you think public health administrators and politicians, for that matter, should be learning and fixing about the health disparities that COVID has magnified? There are so many things. There are so many problems that uh, we have as a society. The disparity is already there. It's all, it's been here forever. When I would switch docs, if I had to go to another doc for my asthma, they automatically assumed, because I was a little Black woman, still am, uh, that I didn't understand what was happening. You know, one doctor, one pulmonologist actually told me, and I kid you not, God was there and he shook his head too. It's like he said, well, you know, asthma is um, triggered by allergies, by uh, pets. Now, and he looked at me like you're talking to a preschooler. Now, you don't have a puppy dog or a pussycat around, do you? And I looked at this man like, okay, this is not uh, pediatric pulmonology, okay? Speak to me as an adult. If there's a question that I have, I will ask you. For Black people, and I'm not speaking for all Black people because we don't all know each other, all too often we have the same experiences. There's distrust. And the reason that we have distrust, it goes beyond Tuskegee. It's right now. I've been around a lot of docs and I've encountered docs that have God complex. They don't want you to ask a question. If you do, they're insulted. So people tend to not give the information. And, and, you know, you kind of internalize this and you assume that all docs are the same. 
So you don't give all of the information because you don't want to be treated, you know, as an unperson. And I don't know how to fix this. There needs to be more advocates. I think if there were patient advocates across the board, not just for black and brown people, but for people that also feel as though, you know, they're lesser than when they go into the doctor's office. People need advocates so that they can understand their rights and understand that people are working for you. Open up your mouth and and if you don't understand, ask a question. Don't be afraid to ask a question. Public health is doing, I think, a really good job. They're trying to tackle a huge problem that is not easy because you're going down to the core of individuals and the core of society. This is something that is not just in one zip code. Other than um, dealing and expanding these programs to meet people where they are and to educate them, people need advocates. I think the programs will work better. And I think uh, the quality of life for those of us that are underserved or unserved, that's what's needed. What they're going to need are real people. People respond to regular folks. People feel more comfortable speaking with an average person because they see that they are where they've been. You know, when I say meeting people where they are, dealing with average people, I, that's exactly what I, I'm thinking of. Uh, I've had to fire doctors. Don't, don't speak down to me and don't come in. Honest to God, I've had, and you know, for asthma, for anything with lungs, they listen to your lungs, okay, front and back. I had this this physician that come in, uh, was there for all of two minutes. I thought he was getting ready to do something. He was gone. He never listened to my lungs. I was a nothing. I'm like, okay, well, that's not going to work. <laughs> okay, bye-bye. And that's where the advocacy comes in. And sometimes if they're close to the nurse, they'll talk to the nurse. It's like, he didn't even touch me. He didn't even listen to my lungs. People need to be heard. As someone, an advocate to tell you, to walk you through things, because if you're not aware, you can't access it. Because there are people that have limited literacy, and is there, they're afraid that they won't be able to do it, and so they don't do it. I wanted to take a couple moments to go over some resources for the residents of Illinois. For veterans to reach a caring, qualified responder within the Department of Veterans Affairs, contact the Veterans Crisis Line. They're available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. This free support is confidential and serves all veterans, service members, National Guard, and Reserves. Call 
800-273-8255 or text 838-255. Online chat is also available www.veteranscrisisline.net. The Illinois Department on Aging helps older people live independently in their own homes and communities. Professional staff will briefly assess the needs, send literature, and write referrals for a range of services such as case management, legal services, transportation, employment, and nutrition services. Please visit the Department on Aging at www.illinois.gov forward slash aging, A-G-I-N-G. You can call them as well at 800-252-8966. That's 1-800-252-8966. In or near the town you live in, a variety of support services are available to address the diverse needs and interests of older adults in Illinois. From those who are active and healthy, to those residing in long-term care facilities and seniors who are living at home. In Chicago, please reach out to the Chicago Senior Services Hotline at 312 744 4016. They're available Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Again, Chicago Senior Services Hotline, 312-744-4016. Also in Chicago, senior well-being checks can be requested by dialing 311 from your phone or online at 311 Dot chicago.gov If you or a family member are in need of additional nutritional support, please reach out to Meals on Wheels. They do have a national website where you enter in your town or zip code and it will give you a list of local organizations that are the direct Meals on Wheels contact to serve your neighborhoods. Please reach out to mealsonwheelsamerica.org forward slash find, that's F-I-N-D, hyphen meals, M-E-A-L-S. Again, www.mealsonwheelsamerica.org forward slash find hyphen meals, M-E-A-L-S. On my podcast website, surgelandpodcast.com, I have compiled a list of resources. One of the big lists that I'm excited to post is a list of local health departments within the state of Illinois, listing contact information, phone numbers, emails, even the physical address. It's important that we stay connected with our local health departments. So please check out surgelandpodcast.com for the additional resources posted and all the ones listed here that will be there for you to view. Additional COVID resources, please visit the Department of Public Health website at dph.illinois.gov. That's dph.illinois.gov. 
The CDC website is also an important tool to help you navigate COVID in the days ahead. www.cdc for Centers for Disease Control, cdc.gov. If you are needing at-home COVID tests delivered to your door free, please reach out to covid.gov forward slash tests. The current third installment of delivered test in partnership with the United States Postal Service. Currently, we can get eight tests delivered to your household. An interesting note as well, you can register your neighbors and other family members as long as you have their name, the address in which they live, and an email address. You can use your singular email address with multiple households. You complete it online at covid.gov forward slash tests. So please check that out to get those additional COVID tests. COVID.gov, C-O-V-I-D.gov forward slash tests. And register a friend or a family member as well to receive their share. Be well. I love that you have all of this information. This, these are are resources that are ripe for the picking. They're right here with their hands out. Here, take it, use it. We're here for you. And that makes such a major difference. So thank you, thank you, thank you for having that information and sharing it. I think it's going to make a huge difference. You were a part of the All In Illinois campaign, helping to spread hope and education to our fellow neighbors by sharing our unique stories. In two or three quick sentences, what does being all in mean to you? Being all in, and I love the title because it's, it is it is. We're all in. We're, we all are in it together, helping each other and showing that, okay, if I can do it, you can do it. We're all in it together. The impact is is impacting us financially, emotionally, spiritually, every Lee you can think of. We're all just trying to navigate that. Some more successful than others. I think that just to acknowledge the fact that literally we all are in this together. See, and I love, love, love that. I am so grateful that you're doing this podcast because um, people are unaware. You you have said quite a few things that I was unaware of. And I, I what I did, one of the things that I, I was telling people initially, and I still think it's a good idea, is uh, plan to be sick. Um, make sure you have your Tylenol. Make sure that you have juices and soups and and um, the chest decongestants and other things that you know your your survival kit. So if if it's not too bad, God willing, you have the things that'll make you feel more comfortable. But keeping in touch, I hadn't thought about contacting your doc through my chart. That is, I mean. Number one on the list to do, I would think. Let's start taking the resources and the plenty that we have. It helps that person feel less alone, less isolated, and builds and rebuilds 
the sense of community that we so desperately need right now. It doesn't take much to do a lot and to really make a big impact within the little sphere of influence we have, whether it's our, our floor in our building or our block, really keeping our eyes open for ways to be the hands and feet that can make a difference and can help us connect and can help us get to that all importance other side of COVID. We can do things like on our own accord within the communities within which we live and make a much bigger impact than really anything a politician can do. Your compassion is contagious. I mean, your passion for for what you're doing and educating people and letting them know that, hey, you're not alone, you know, because everybody is not able to get out. And there are some people that are just absolutely terrified to go out the door. Thank you. Thank you. I I appreciate you so much. I really, really do. I think we'll be okay. I think we're going to get on the other side of this. And when we do reach the other side of this, we will see that as human beings, we're better for it. Let's get that going so people can find the encouragement in the day-to-day again. We have got to get back to that. You are so right. You have said to me about people with opposing views, and you're absolutely right. They are opposing views. They aren't our enemy. They just see something differently than we do, and we see something differently than they do. We're all human beings trying to make it from one day to the next. Briefly describe what has been your personal anchor that's gotten you through. I am one of the prayingest sisters you will ever see. We all have and are experiencing some degree of PTSD because we haven't been prepared for what we've been living through. But having my best, best friends. I call them my sister friends. We're going to talk. We're going to cry. We're going to laugh. We're going to get through. So by the time we're done, and it may be hours later, we're both feeling better. We need that kind of anchor. If we aren't able to be there, or for me, I'm a walker. I love hiking. I love the forest preserve, but I couldn't go out. So My girlfriends and I, we would get together and on Zoom, we would exercise together on Zoom. I also journal. If it's really um, writing is good for me, that's what I do. Having a good base of friends, for me, prayer, my faith, and journaling, And checking on the kids, making sure everybody's okay. And if they need something, let me know. Of course, they'll never let me know. But, (laughs) you know, that that's what's gotten me through it. You have to have love in your life. When you know that you're loved and you know that people care about you like you care about them, that puts a turbo in your in your soul that kind of undergirds you, you know? It does sound like you have a trilogy of sorts to get you through as your anchor, your faith, your Mm -hmm. fitness, and fellowship. And it's really great when you combine all three of those. It seems Mm -hmm. like you've been able to do a lot of that during this time. 
I wanted to segue, if we could, into a little bit of non-COVID talk for a minute. Really get an understanding for your background as an author. Are you currently working on any new projects that you can talk to us about? And what's up next for you professionally? Well, what uh, the COVID, you know, pumped my brakes. I was lecturing. I was working with the FBI on the Emmett Till lynching because I started researching that when I was a college student at Kennedy King in 1977. Whoa, long time ago. I was able to um, interview people. Actually, the leader of the lynch mob thought I was a young racist white woman, so he gave me all the information because I was very compassionate. I wanted to know what happened and not just what, but the why. So I was able to get that information and I wrote my first book, Emmett Till's Secret Witness, FBI Confidential Source Speaks. Um, and I, instead of writing it as a, a scholarly piece, which is what the American Library Association was suggesting that I do, I wrote it as a non-fictional novel. The reason for this is that I didn't want to do bullet points. I wanted to bring you into it. I wanted you to understand because when I was interviewing JW, the leader of the lynch mob, when we weren't talking about Emmett, he sounded like a regular person. And when he was giving me his reasoning behind what he did, um, he actually believed it. He uh, thought he was doing the right thing. He was, you know, being patriotic and, and the whole bit. And it's like trying to understand racism was interesting. So that's why I wrote it in the book um, pretty much the way he, he gave it to me. And um, I've gotten really good reviews from it uh, because... It's real. It's not something that I threw together in a couple of years. No, I did the hard work. Uh, so now I have been encouraged to finish up the trial for uh, the case. I was not going to do it. I've already gotten all the, the research for it. I wasn't really going to do it because I was work. I started working on my children's books, my series, Granny B's Garden. Yes, I am Granny B. And this is for children that I know you're a very young person, so you do not remember the little golden books. I remember the little golden books, especially it, the, the, the ones with the puppy dogs and Oh my gosh, yes. So um, my uh, series is along that vein. And these books are for children that are chronically ill, that spend a lot of time in the hospital, those that have mobility issues, um, you know, that are uplifting and fun and silly, something to make them smile. Because children, when they're in the hospital, and having these little books the, there, uh, my hope is to, as I make enough money off my other book, I'll be able to get my illustrations for this. I'll be able to donate books to uh, smaller hospitals for uh, those kids. And I do have another on my special thing, The Reluctant Angel, uh, which is another piece that I'm working on.
for Emmett, for Emmett Till's Secret Witness, that is on Amazon. But please read all of the reviews. They are really nice. Also, Goodreads. I've gotten really lovely reviews on that. And this I wanted to say, the reason that I was going into children's books for children that are sick is, um, well, my daughter lived at Larbita, my oldest. She lived there because of her asthma. My baby daughter, she had spina bifida occulta and she had to have spinal cord surgery. They had to untether her spinal cord because, you know, it started her twisting with scoliosis. My youngest, well, he's not my youngest any longer, but my grandson I was telling you about, I missed his graduation. He lived in the hospital. He must have been maybe five. It was my turn. I was staying overnight at the hospital with him. And he had to go to the washroom. So I helped him get in there. And he was sitting on, on the toilet. And he was like, Grandma, I don't want to die. Oh, my gosh. That broke my heart. I mean, ah, oh, it's scary. So, you know, you want to do something to bring a smile to children that are going through so much. If I can get better with book sales, then I can go on and get the... Uh, illustrators. Well, you seem to have your creative vision locked down, and I have no doubt that you will achieve that. Please go out and get Bonnie Blue's book, Emmett Till's Secret Witness, FBI Confidential Source Speaks by Bonnie Blue. You can find this book on Amazon, Goodreads, G-O-O-D-R-E-A-D-S.com, as well as Barnes & Noble. Again, Emmett Till's Secret Witness, FBI Confidential Source Speaks, a book by Bonnie Blue. Did you ever feel after a brief conversation with someone that they instantly became a good friend, as if you've known them forever? Well, I feel that way about you, Bonnie. This all-in ad campaign acquaintance of mine has blossomed so much in a few short weeks. A friendship that will continue beyond this interview. Bonnie, don't you agree? Yes, we will. Yes, we most certainly will. I can, if you were here, I'd give you the biggest hug. Because you. what you are doing is exactly what's needed at this time. I love it. I know, and I appreciate it. Well, this has been an interview with Bonnie Blue. She was part of the All in Illinois ad campaign, which did start in early 2021 and still goes on today with real Illinois residents talking about their concerns and how they are navigating through COVID. This has been an extension, in essence, a little mini reunion of sorts. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your wisdom. Bonnie, thank you for your time. You be well. Julie, you do the same. I appreciate you. Thank you, Miss Bonnie. You know what? I just love you so much. You are just such a sincere, sweet, and caring people. The world needs a lot more Julies. I mean, seriously.
You know, you're not just talking to talk. You're walking the walk. You're you're doing what needs to be done and inspiring other people. And I appreciate it. And anything I can do to help, let me know. Thank you.